Well, Merry Christmas. It's a cold one. Back in my hometown, Bozeman, Montana, it's negative 40 degrees today. Yeah, it's warm here compared to there. Man. Isn't it true that more often than not, people in power become self-indulgent and prideful? Our sin nature makes it near impossible to be a king or an extremely rich leader without also being puffed up and lavish in luxury. I'm not thinking of any one leader in particular, but let me name a few examples. Louis XIV of France was so lavish that it said it took 25% of France's entire income just to support his family. He thought so highly of himself that he would invite groups of 100 people to watch him get out of bed in the morning. He spent over $200 billion making his palace. A more modern example, the, the Sultan of Brunei, the current leader of a small oil-rich country about the size of Delaware, this man may live the most extravagant life I've ever heard of. He prefers everything he owns to be gold-plated, including his toilet brush. At one time, him and his brother were responsible for half of Rolls-Royce's income because they spent so much money on their fancy cars. I'm sure each of us can think of similar examples when we look throughout history and the modern world. These men thought very highly of themselves, didn't they? This begs the question, if leaders of such small countries can become so puffed up in their power, what about the God of the universe that holds all power? What is he like? What type of self-indulgence does he embrace? Isaiah 53, 3-7, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you today. We know you're here with us celebrating this Christmas Eve. And God, we just ask you to touch hearts today. Lord, and just move among us. We know your presence is here. In your name we pray. Amen. So what was he like? Notice first that while Jesus was on earth, and I'm sure he's the same today, he was humble. He was humble. In contrast to many kings of old and kings of today, Jesus, the king of the universe, was humble. John 1.18 tells us that Jesus made the world Yet do we see him parading through the streets, shouting out his power and, and his reputation? No, we see, we see just the opposite. He lived a humble life. 
Jesus could have written in the stars that he deserves all glory, but instead, what did he do? He came to the earth and he lived among the poor and and the sick and the filthy. He let himself be despised. He didn't have a mansion or a castle. He didn't even have a home. He wasn't born into a wealthy family, raised as a king or a prince. He was born into a manger. Do you think it had to be this way? Did, did God have to enter the world in the way that he did? I don't believe so. He, he could have descended from heaven in the midst of myriads of angels with beams of light shining upon him from thousands of different sources with rainbows of colors that we've never seen with such a voice of trembling that everyone would drop to their knees. Yet how did the almighty creator God choose to enter our world? as a baby, a baby dependent upon its mother, a baby that needed his diaper changed, a helpless, fragile, young infant, the ancient of days in the body of a babe. As Jesus got older, even though he knew he was God, he had a humble personality. Listen to what Peter, a man who was one of Jesus' closest friends while he wrote this thing about Jesus, he says in 1 Peter 2.22-24, he says, Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness, By his stripes we are healed. Jesus was the target of all kinds of of abuse throughout his life, wasn't he? I mean, he was cursed at. He was lied about. He was beaten, persecuted, and reviled time and time again. Yet what was his response? Did he ever make use of his divine power to put a stop to it? Did he ever even insult them in response to their evil deeds against him? No. No. And this reminds me of another thought about Jesus' humility. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." As humans, we often use certain things about ourselves to feel superior. Some people use their their wealth. Uh, Others use how good they are in a particular skill or or hobby. Uh, Others use their kids, how good their kids are doing in the world. There's many different ways in which people do this, but Jesus had the most supreme option of them all. He literally was God. Yet, did he use that to feel superior? The Bible says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So God is a humble God, and there are so many different aspects of who God is, like he's righteous, and he's just, and he's all-knowing, but I don't want to cover any of that today. I just want to cover one more aspect of God's character. He's loving. This is something I'm sure we've all heard, like, oh, God is so loving, right? But has it ever occurred to you just how loving God actually is? Consider this with me, how loving Jesus was in his life. Jesus 
never shied away from the rejects and the ones everyone else felt were unlovable. In fact, those were the people Jesus gravitated toward. He was hated, actually, by the evil religious leaders around him because he was a friend of those who, were, who the leaders wrote off as too far gone and, and broken. He saved a woman from being stoned who was caught in adultery. As they lifted their stones to crush her, Jesus said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And they one by one dropped their stones, and Jesus was the last one there, the only one that could have cast a stone because he was without sin. Yet he didn't, and instead he forgave her, and he let her leave. That's, we find that in John chapter 8. He even went and touched and healed the most rejected of their time, the most looked down upon, a man with leprosy, a very contagious flesh-eating disease. Jesus befriended prostitutes and thieves and other sinners of that day. He didn't befriend them to leave them in their sin, though. Rather, he, he befriended them to save them from it. Jesus one day overheard the religious leaders gossiping about him and who he spends his time with, and he replied with the divine words, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, he wasn't only loving in his life, but also he was loving in his death. Do you know what Jesus spent his final breaths doing as he hung there on that cross? I can't imagine the pain and the shame and what my mind would be on if I was in his place, but I have the privilege of knowing what his mind was on. He spent his final breaths doing three things. It's said that you can tell a lot about a person by their final moments. I don't know if that's true, but it was for him. One, his final breaths were making sure that his mother was going to be taken care of. Seeing his mother and, his, and the disciple whom he loved standing near her, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, he said, Behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her into his home. That's in John chapter 19. Jesus wanted to make sure his, his, his mother would be okay. Two, Jesus forgave the sins of the thief hanging next to him on, on his own cross. Luke 23, 39 through 43 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus spent his last breaths saving this sinner. Three, this is the most powerful one to me personally. Jesus spent his final breaths asking God to forgive the same very people who stripped him, beat him, whipped him, and nailed him to a cross. Luke 23, 33-34 says, And when they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So why did, why did God do any of this? 
Why did God exercise His divine power to make Himself born into the world, live such a humble and loving life, and then be nailed to the cross and die for three days and then rise from the dead? Why? What could have possibly made Him do this? Love. Love for me and love for you. Remember that passage we read in the beginning, we each like sheep have gone astray. Every person has turned their own way and and abandoned the shepherd and overseer of our souls. The Bible says that all have become corrupted by evil. Evil that deserves nothing more than to burn in hell for eternity. So out of divine love and humility, God stepped out of heaven and entered the earth for the purpose of living the sinless life that we could not. And he experienced hell on that cross in our place where we deserve to be. So that we could be saved and go before the Father in his place and have salvation in his place. He came to switch his spot with ours. To experience what we deserve to experience so that we can experience what only he deserves to experience. Eternity with God in heaven. In the wise words of Charles Spurgeon, we stand before God as if we are Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. God doesn't force this upon us, though. He gives us a very clear but narrow door. We can choose any other direction if we like, but they they all, the Bible says, lead to hell. The door to letting Jesus take your place is believing in him. It's so simple and it's, it's so easy. Place your heart's trust in Jesus for salvation. Believe that he did what he says he did. He died in our place and, and he rose from the grave. I'll say it one more time. The door to letting Jesus take your place is believing in him. And it's so simple and it's, it's so easy. Place your heart's trust in Jesus alone for salvation. 1 Timothy 2, 4-5 through tells us that God desires all people to be saved and that there is only one way, Jesus Christ. Now with every head bowed, I'm going to pray to this humble and loving God. He's right here with us tonight, this Christmas. As we celebrate Him coming into the world, what better way to celebrate than let His reason for coming be true for you? Believe in Jesus this night and be welcomed into his family forever. In your own heart, confer with the Lord and ask him to save you according to his sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray. And repeat after me in your own heart if this is true for you. Lord, I know that evil has corrupted me too, just like everybody else. And I desire to be cleansed. I desire to be free. Save me, Jesus. Take my sin upon you on that cross. I give you my heart's trust. You died in my place so that I can stand before you, Father, in Christ's place. In Jesus' name, amen.